We don't beat you over the head with our opinion, and we listen to yours. The new face of talk radio, Voice America Women's Radio Network. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning, I'm Catherine Zox, and you are listening to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm your social worker with a microphone on voiceamerica.com, voiceamerica.com women. Joining me this morning is Lauren Beller, business coach and president of Big Fish Nation, and you can log on to her new website, bigfishnation.com, 12-month entrepreneurial program, which you can take in the comfort of your own home or office. Good morning, Lauren. How are you this morning? Good morning, Catherine. I am very good. Thank you. That's good because we have a great show this morning, as we always do. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. We have Dr. Meg Meeker. She's a pediatric and adolescent physician, and she's going to be talking about her book, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. And in the book, and I I just finished the book yesterday, actually, she talks about the, the importance of fathers on their daughter's Lives. Young women's relationships with their fathers are far more important than we've ever realized. And uh, she's going to tell us or give us ten secrets every father should know in order to strengthen or rebuild, if he hasn't had a good relationship, with his daughter. Also, Dr. Kenneth Duckworth, Medical Director for the National Alliance on Mental Health, and he's also an Assistant Professor of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School to discuss Bipolar Disorder Awareness Day, which is today, Lauren, October 11th. Oh, I didn't realize it was today. Very well, good. after the show, you will realize <laughs> it is today, my dear. I'll and never forget it after You'll today. never forget it. I mean, unfortunately, and it's a really sad commentary, I probably could name you at least six people, six individuals that I know who have been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Really? Yeah, and I'm just obviously just one One person. person. Yeah, and uh, to me it seems like it's an epidemic, and that's something obviously I want to ask the doctor about. Is it more people or that we have better diagnostic uh, abilities in order to, you know, diagnose it or what? But anyway, we'll save that for him. So, uh, mothers and, you know, I was thinking about the first one, Dr. Meg Meeker, Fathers and Daughters. Uh-huh. And she, you know, good relationship with your father. You have to look up to him. You have to respect him, all of those kinds of things. And I was thinking about Chelsea Clinton. Here's oh, interesting. <laughs> now, here's her. She's got a father who's very powerful, right? Uh, obviously, President of the United States. Maybe he'll be first first man of the United States or first lady woman or whatever. First lady man. First lady man, yeah. And, uh, you know, he's kind of, uh, you know, he's obviously, he's brilliant. He's He's been the president of the United States for two terms, but he's also, he's got the Monica Lewinsky thing. He's got all kinds of stuff. You know, I always wondered how Chelsea responded to that. And, I mean, how does she incorporate that into her psyche with her relationship with her father? I would love to have her on the show and ask her that question. That's true. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We'd love to have you. You're not going to answer that question. I I don't know. I mean, um, if I answer it, I'm totally making it up. But, you know, I, I do see what you're saying. There's two sides to Bill Clinton, and there's that strong, powerful you know, down-to-earth kind of guy that's just written a book on giving, you know. Uh-huh. And then there's the well, other he gave side. gave a lot. Yeah, he definitely, <laughs> he I'd say. as much as he could give, yeah. Exactly. And then there's the other side where, you know, the darker side that I think that every single one of us has, you know. Yeah. We all have that side. And what, you know, unfortunately for him, his became very public. Yeah. And she, ha- and she has to live with it. 
Yeah, she does, and I wonder what her response is because, I mean, she seems to be a very successful young woman. She went to Stanford. She's kind of out of the limelight a little bit now, well, now that her mother is in the limelight, and uh, which I think is so exciting. I have spoken to more women. We went out for dinner with a couple last night. Actually, this lady may be a person who would be, if she's listening today, a great referral to your program. Oh, nice. I'm always searching for you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, she's a, a woman... Um, I can't say too much because I'm going to be revealing who she is. But anyway, career wants to change her career, enhance her career, and that's what you're there for. So anyway, so I'm making that recommendation. But she, too, voting for Hillary Clinton. And, you know, you and I have had this conversation, Lauren. I mean, if Hillary Clinton becomes president of the United States, it's going to change the world. It's going to be before and after. I mean, our whole the first woman president of the United States is going to change everything. I agree with you. I think um, it would change everything, and it gives women a whole new perspective on what's possible. A perspective, a reality, this is what we can do. You talk about role models and gender models and those kinds of things. I mean, and I think it's going to change the change the United States and the world in ways we have no idea. I would agree with Well, the yeah. world in particular, I think. The United States, I think, I think we could be ready for such a change. And in the world, I think it would be what is such a statement to the world that we're in so many countries and so many places women are not held as equals. You know, so I just think there would be some challenges with it and some huge, it just sets us up for huge possibility. Yeah, it's exciting. and I, So I'm sort of out there, if she's listening, campaigning for Hillary. For Hillary. <laughs> yeah. And it's and, so not like you to get behind somebody and speak of it, so I'm so proud of you. And you are so right. I'm so narcissistic. I usually don't toot other people's horns. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's not my style. I'm much more of a private, I was going to say I'm a private person, but we're on the radio talking about private stuff, so I'm not so sure that that's true. But you have a daughter. I mean, imagine her. She's going to grow up with, hopefully, you know, this kind of a role model with I a would woman so, president. I, I would so love to have, at the beginning of her life, see, see know that a woman is president. I mean, I remember when I, I knew who the president was when I was four and five. I remember, not, I remember um, you know, the bad things that were going on in the world and that men were in charge. And not that I ever knew specifically that a man was, but that's all I knew. I can't remember. I do remember who was president, but I'm not telling you. <laughs> I remember very clearly who was I know who was president when I was born. I mean, obviously, I don't remember that, but I do remember who the president was. But I'm, I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, well, I just think that for my daughter, you know, it's what an amazing thing to have that be the way she started, the beginning of her life, that women are president and women potentially. You know, I think that's... That, sets everybody up for just a whole new level. The glass ceiling is broken is what happens. Yeah, it's gone. It's shattered. Yeah. It's over. Yeah, you're so right. When talking about your daughter, and, you know, part of this, this Dr. Meg Meeker, who's the physician who's going to be talking about relationships between fathers and daughters, um, you personally, I mean, you have a, a daughter who's almost two years old, and her relationship with her father, I mean, in her relationship with you, the differences, and how do you... As, oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay. So drastically different. So drastically different. And, you know, (laughs) where do you start? But she is a strong, you know, strong person in her life, strong in many ways. You know, when she has, when there's something up and he picks her up and puts puts her in his arms, you realize, oh, look at her. She feels so safe and, you know. Is that just because of his physical presence? Because I've seen your husband. I mean, he's big, he's strong, he's handsome. That's very physical. And um, 
not that you're not strong and you are good looking, but there is that kind of that male kind of thing. Do you think that's what makes you feel comfortable? I mean, well, the, you the know, physicality I, of the whole thing. I just get to make that all up because I don't really know. But there is a physical piece first, but there's also the emotional piece, and there because he's much more, much less sympathetic about issues, you know, emotional issues than I am. <laughs> oh, you're fine. You know, I'm like, oh, you poor thing. What's the matter? And he's like, oh, he's fine. You know. So there's lots of different ways of being strong and you know this model and it's interesting to watch who he chooses to be and not that I can really I do judge it but I try not to it's his, it's his relationship with you him mean you judge him you want him to be like you which is probably not good because it, of course you, it's not good it you would, need the balance you do need the balance you need yeah. the balance you need him to say hey forget about it you know it's okay and then you need you to say to give a little bit more empathy that's but exactly then, right but what you're saying is what a lot of couples do and I've had a lot of couples in in my counseling practice, you know, they want the other person, the parent, mom or dad, to behave in the same way they do because they view that that's the right way. Right. Not seeing that the balance and even some of the conflict is good. It's critical. I think it's critical. It helps you see the different kinds of people in the world and everybody has a different role in our lives. So it is, it's very, if I get into the emotional side of it I can say oh man why you know you need to be more like this or you need to do this more but I realize that it's not that's me that's I agree with you it's it's so does he do the same thing does Rob do the same thing I mean does he criticize you and say hey you know leave her alone he's so much more he's so much less critical than I am (laughs) (laughs) and and at the same time you know, I have to tell a real quick funny story. He's been gone almost three weeks, home on one weekend so far. That's out. why he's less critical. Exactly. He's he a sugar daddy. And he comes home the other day, and she calls. She, he, I said, look, Sierra Daddy. And she says, she points out at him and says, Mommy. And, you know, for and three whole days she called him Mommy, and he was getting perturbed, I could tell. And I said, you know what? If you're gone for three weeks, that's what's going to happen. You're going to be called Mommy now and then. It was funny. It was, it was, she was totally doing it to mess with him. And your voice sounds like a little bit pedantic, like teaching him a lesson. Hey, if you leave her for three weeks, and also I hear kind of an underlying, and if you leave me for three weeks. Three weeks is a long time. Three weeks is a long time. This is what happens. We get along without you. I always say that. I'm I'm fine, you, but and it's a choice for you to go, and there's consequences. You know, I can't, I didn't do that. I didn't tell her to do that at all. She felt it. She felt it, and she was totally playing with him because she knew it was, you know, it was getting under his skin, I think. You know, they're very smart. Oh, my goodness. Oh, they you don't have to say too much. They can feel it. They, they totally they pick up it. on all those cues exactly. So does he have a choice, though? Does he have a choice? That which are, is what you're saying is let's get into some family therapy here. We have three minutes left. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, Does he have a choice to stay at home for the or to go? Two the of the three weeks, Catherine, were work, and the first week was pleasure. So he he did have a choice on two, one of the three. On the weeks. pleasure part. The pleasure part he had a choice about. But, you know, to, in his credit, he, um, in his defense, I should say, he did book his pleasure trip before his work told him about his work responsibilities. So he already had a plan. He was mountain biking with the boys for a week. So it's okay. I, I mean, I'm really totally fine with it. I just, you know, laugh about the, you know, the implications of it. Well, you're totally fine. I don't hear totally fine, but I hear fine. <laughs> I actually enjoy my I enjoy my space. It's very good for our relationship to have the 
time, you know, she goes to sleep at 8, 8.30, and I have my evening. So Yeah, I agree with you. I, I really time. like that. I mean, I, I should tell you, know, Lauren, you know my relationship partner for 20 <laughs> years, and we don't even, we don't live together, and we had a, this was a couple days ago, we had a, I'm not going to tell you what, I can't even remember what it was about. Oh, I think it was about taking a trip, going somewhere, and he said, well, I don't want to go, I can't, and I said, we have to, and we got into a big battle, but then he went home, he left. Fine, you know, and everything just kind of settled down. And like the next day, we said, "Well, you know, if we'd been married, this would have been smoldering, and we would have been angry. And this way, that distance really helped, you know, yeah. as, you know, because we were went back to our own houses. I'm not recommending that for everybody, but it is one way of establishing a really strong relationship." Don't be together. <laughs> it is really helpful. Together. I know that I make less of an issue over little things because, you know, we have limited time together. And, um, you know, because he travels every single week, at least part of the week. Yeah. So but you have to. You have to pick and choose your battles. You have battle. to pick and yeah. choose. And I think even if you do live together every day, 24-7, you still have to pick and choose. But I think it's harder to pick yeah. and choose. You always have to pick and choose those battles. We're taking a short break. Catherine Zox, Lauren Beller. Coming up next, Dr. Meg Meeker. She's a pediatric and adolescent physician discussing her book, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmerica.com Women. And I am your social worker with a microphone. talk with you, not at you. We're Voice America, Women's Radio Network, the new face of talk radio. I have three children, and I've been raising my 16-year-old sister. Mary Gallagher and her family shared a two-bedroom apartment with eight people. Now Habitat for Humanity is helping her build a simple, decent, affordable home of her own. When we first found out that we were getting a Habitat home, it was like a dream. I kept saying, don't anybody wake me up. Not only is Mary helping build her own home, she'll buy it with a no-profit, zero-interest mortgage to keep it affordable. Habitat came out and built my home, and when Mary started building her house, I wanted to come out and give a hand. We're not just building Mary's house, we're building a neighborhood. There's several more to be built this year, and I look forward to working on each of their houses and seeing the joy of their face when they open the door to their brighter future. Habitat for Humanity. Building homes, changing lives. Support the work in your community. Visit Habitat.org. I feel very blessed. God has answered all of my prayers. We are home. Painful feet can affect our ability to enjoy the most basic activities in our daily lives, like walking your dog or cleaning your house, not to mention any physical activities you engage in. Thankfully, Dr. Larry Score brings to Voice America Health and Wellness Channel timely advice and resources to get you back on your feet and feeling great. Don't miss There's No Business Like Toe Business every Friday afternoon at 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Radio that talks with you, not at you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. 
You're listening to the Catherine Zoss Show. Welcome back. I am Catherine Zoss, your social worker with a microphone on Voice America, voiceamerica.com women with Lauren Beller, who's president of Big Fish Nation, a 12-month entrepreneurial program, which you can take in the comfort of your own home or office, and you can go to bigfishnation.com for your new website. Hey, Lauren, did I tell you I'm getting a new website? Or I'm getting a website. I'm so excited. <laughs> yes, I, I know. I, I think I might be more excited than you, actually. For my website? Yes. Good. I'm very excited about your new website. Well, I keep looking at your website because it keeps you, you keep adding on. Is, there, it's, is it finished? Is it done? Are you adding on to it? Because well, it's it, technically finished, but you know, it's you know, we have to, there's a couple things we're trying to. I'm trying to get the blog going, so it's a very brand new blog, and I have to get my web podcast up, and you know, some little details. But the bulk, you know, 99% of it's complete. I notice with websites, and I think if you're going to do business, you have to have a website. We've talked about this on the show. Do you have to have a webcast? I'm noticing more and more that you that that's also part of like a really cutting edge kind of website. I having, agree with you. So I you, think it's going to be more and more. I think we're going to see it on more and more websites, and I think the technology is getting easier. I'm looking at. I need to buy a new computer. Mine's um, ancient. You know, it's more than three years old. You know, that makes it very ancient. And now you can just buy them with the webcam built right in. I'm thinking that's the way to do it so that I'm, you know, making the webcasts easier. That's what you should get, one of those built-in. And I think that I also am going to get one of those. I saw those at work. I have, you know, three boys who are in the business, film business, um, uh, band and acting. And so they're into all of this stuff, and that's how they communicate with each other. I mean, they're on, they can, they're literally in each other's face. It's wonderful. It is so cool. Do they use the built-in webcam or do they use a separate one? They use a built-in webcam. So, I mean, their face is like all over the screen. I'm going to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I have a separate camera now that I was going to use, but I think the built-in ones are probably going to be even easier and just right there on your computer once you do it. Yeah. So those are kind of ancient. Well, you've got your your computer. My computer is even older than that. But, I mean, that's my next step with my new website. So I want everyone to know, look for my new website. I guess within maybe 30 days in a month I have to put some pressure on myself. Look at you. I'm totally impressed. Yeah, I had to get this thing done, right? Yeah, that's a that's you're saying that on the radio. That's setting a goal. That's pretty ambitious. I'm happy. Exactly. Anyway, so I I'm doing it. I've got it. I'm going to have my website up and going in a month. I want to get back to you though, because you know I am the social worker with the microphone, and I'm listening to like your family <laughs> situation. And before our next guests come on, I want to get back to your um, you have an you know one of the things I think today especially a lot of couples and a lot of families either both or one or the other of the couples travel. And that presents a whole new, I think that is an issue with families. You have, like you said, you mentioned Rob was gone, your husband, for three weeks. How do you, that's tough. How do you, you know, how do you work around that or with it or what do you do? Well, I have uh, to say that I knew that his, his lifestyle as well as his work way entering this relationship. So I was entering it ready, willing, and able to work with the, the travel and some people, I think, that's not the case. Like, they may take a new job, and the travel is brand new, and it's not they're not sure how to work with it. He also works out of the house, so when he's not traveling, he's home. So, so you have, yeah, so you have, like, really, uh, not all or nothing, but you have a lot of really, when he's home, he really is home. He's not going to some office every single day, nine exactly. to five. Yeah. So that, yeah. But you mentioned one thing, and I think that's, that's a, uh, it's a very, um, it's an important point, because I think with couples, you get married, you have certain expectations. Like you say, if you're both traveling and you're both doing it when you get married, fine, that's what you're used to. But what happens when you do change jobs? 
and you've had certain expectations for your partner to be at home, and then they're not, and they're not there to take care of the children or the child, and everything changes, and that can be really disruptive. It's not devastating to some relationships. I think it can be devastating to some because they're not, they don't like it or they don't um, want it, but I think really the bottom line is it's about personal growth on both of their parts. In other words, maybe one person decided that would be good for them personally to start traveling, seeing more of the world, having a different kind of job, whatever it is. And I think it is about learning how to respond so that you're the one staying home is feeling okay about the situation. And maybe they need to grow too. I think that there's an opportunity for personal growth in that whole situation. It's all about adjustment, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I, I, yeah adjusting and um, being flexible and and just seeing the opportunity there personally and professionally. At what point, though, do, does flexibility become, you know, at a point in a relationship like you let somebody walk all over you? Like, I love that question. Yeah. I so love that question because I think there is a fine line of standing totally firm and uh, this is not okay. And I, but I can work over here. So I, that is a fine line, and I think it's a fine. It's a personal thing. You know, you have to decide when you're feeling stepped on and when you're feeling like you're being flexible. How do you know? That's a great. I love that question. Yeah. Well, you always have to. I mean, that's constant. That's why you need a business coach and/or a therapist. You so always be aware of what's going. Yeah. Seriously. So you have that. That. I guess, awareness, I guess, is the word, right? I think it's awareness. Yeah, and the ability to be honest with yourself. So how's the nanny situation? <laughs> That's interesting. You know, I keep inspiring nannies to start their own businesses. I know. You said that last week at the end of the show. I can't help it. I don't know how it happens. But you know, you and I are very similar. I have to say, Lauren, I, when I had my babysitters and nannies, uh, well, I wasn't a business coach, but I was, I'm a social worker. So what would happen, one of my girlfriends said, every woman who comes to work for you to take care of your kids, ends up going back to school, either getting a bachelor's degree or a master's degree in, in education. I have I have really encouraged more teachers in this school system, I That's have to say. That's funny. Yeah, because you can't help it. Like, they're around you all the time. They're in your intimate life. So you start giving them the same kinds of advice that you would for your own kids. And I think they also see that what you have or what you're doing is a wonderful thing, and they want to be do have more of that. That's true. You become their role model. Yeah, and... I um I just do if they're not I don't know so to, so the bottom line is yeah we're still searching because the current one is you know building her business <laughs> <laughs> and she needs a nanny <laughs> oh god no no she's beyond that phase her kids are all grown up and you've helped her to re-career you've helped her to establish her own business I think that's so funny and now you've put yourself out of business exactly. and you need another nanny exactly I haven't found the right one yet so that's we're still true. looking. Well, what I, yeah, still, you know, searching. But at the same time, we have a good situation. I don't think she's ready to jump because it's at the very beginning phases of, you know, her own thing. And financially, I don't think she's ready to do that. So yeah. that's a good thing, and we'll we'll make it work for a while. You need different nannies at different stages of your life. Well, we have our guest right now, Dr. Meg Meeker. Glad to have her on the show this morning. And here she is here. We have a few more minutes to talk about her book. She's oh, a great. pediatric and adolescent physician. We're going to be talking about strong fathers, strong daughters. And in the book, it's very evident that a young woman's relationship with her father is far more important than we've ever realized. Daughters need their father's attention, protection, courage, wisdom. They need a lot from their dads in order for them to become strong, confident women. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Dr. Meeker. Oh, well, thank you for inviting me. Great. We finally tracked you down. <laughs> yes. 
I'm sorry, a little miscommunication there. That's okay. You're here. A, a very interesting book. I totally agree with you. Dads are really important, and as I was reading your book, I identified because I had a very strong, attentive father, and uh, you talk about how that's real important for women and their self-esteem. But one of the things, maybe there's the jumping-off point, you talk about a toxic world. Whether we like it or not, we live in a toxic world, and fathers are the buffer between this this toxic world, and uh, they're the ones who helped protect their daughters from this toxic world, and that's sort of like, to me, that's kind of the takeoff for your book. Absolutely. You know, I, um, I've i been doing this for a while. I've raised three daughters with my husband, and I've watched a lot, seen a lot of changes. You have, too, I'm sure. You know, and really what we've witnessed is the real aggressive hypersexualization of our girls. I don't know that there's a mother out there who walks through the mall and doesn't feel uncomfortable with the, um, you know, tiny little clothes that people are trying to sell her daughters, that, you know, what's going on in movies and music and so on and so forth. And we parents often think, you know, there isn't a lot I can do about it because my kids are going to absorb this. They're going to, you know, drink, do drugs. Um, they're going to be sexually active. And there isn't a whole lot to do about it because it's all about peers. It's all about peer pressure. You know, in fact, my own experience and the research shows very glaringly that it isn't the peer pressure that influences behavior. It's dads. It's mothers and dads. And I wanted every dad in America who has a daughter that he loves, whether he's parenting well or he's not parenting well, to understand that he's huge. He's the key in influencing the decisions she makes during her teen years. And any dad can help her get get on track. So, so Dr. Maker, do, do dads feel inept? Do they feel they can't do it? Because I hear two things. I mean, yes, it's the parent's responsibility to protect them against all, the, as you say, the sexualization of these teenage girls. But I, I don't, like, mothers feel powerful, when, I think, when it comes to having that influence on their daughters somehow. I don't know whether it's built in. But fathers somehow feel like, well, they don't really, what they say isn't going to have make that much of a difference. Absolutely. You know, and a lot of times dads will hear this kind of thing and go, oh, gosh, you know, now I've heard it all and I, you know, I've, I've blown it. I can't do anything. I've heard this lady talk about how important I am. But the bottom line is I think that dads absolutely fade into the background when daughters turn about 10 or 11. The cuteness is gone. She's getting a little bit more assertive, a little bit sassy, if you will. Her dress is changing. She's beginning to mature. And he senses, um, and I think mom communicates this to him, I did to my husband when our daughters were in their teen years, is, you know what, I'm on now because I understand what girls are going through. We have this emotional connection. Just sort of stay out of the way. I'll handle it from here. And, and we give dads those messages when, in fact, daughters really need their dads to to step in and to Stay with them, not necessarily to get really aggressive and bossy and nasty, but to really stay in there and draw closer to their daughters during the teen years, even though they feel inept and uncomfortable. And I will tell you, nine out of ten dads that I talk to are really scared for their daughters during the teen years. And when a man is scared, he doesn't do anything because he's afraid he's going to do the wrong thing. Yeah, and I think one of the other things, and you mentioned this in the book, the way dads communicate, that's different than moms. I mean, men are not great, <laughs> I'm generalizing, but you did too, so yeah. I can do it. They don't talk so much. They're, you know, they may be communicating, as you say, you know, communicating with your daughter may be going to 
doing anything with her, but you don't necessarily have to be talking, but you're there and you're with her and you're participating, whether it's watching a good television show or doing a sport or whatever you're doing, or taking a trip, but you don't have to necessarily be talking because that doesn't come naturally to guys, to men, exactly. to fathers. Exactly. And I think that we can turn it around and say that's a really good thing. Because, you know, a lot of teenage daughters don't really want to talk to either parent. They kind of can often get into this withdrawal and this self-centeredness. And I think that sometimes we moms can drive our daughters crazy by trying to pull too much out of them. But dad, who doesn't need to talk as much, it's great for him to be able to move in. And a lot of dads can be great listeners because they're not always jumping in and trying to correct daughters the way we do. Again, I'm generalizing. But, but I think also we have to take a break now. But there's, And you're sort of, this is what we're leading into, I think. You know, mothers aren't identifying with their, mothers are identifying with their daughters and fathers aren't. So that's a good thing. Cause, exactly. Yeah, so you don't have that, that kind of uh, identification that gets in the way. We're talking to Dr. Meg Meeker. She's author of Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters, 10 Secrets Every Father Should Know. And we'll be back in uh, a few minutes. Don't go away. Voice America, voiceamerica.com, women. radio that informs entertains and enlightens you voice america women's radio network inner health through homeopathy hosted by melissa birch cch with dr tim Stryker. this show features a weekly discussion about homeopathy a holistic approach to health care which treats ailments by bringing the entire body into balance. Homeopathy encompasses and examines the makeup of the entire person instead of focusing solely on a disease or ailment. The healing process involves physical, mental, and emotional changes which come from a wellness within. Homeopathic remedies go far beyond an alleviation of symptoms. They can restore harmony to the body and open paths to a higher level of awareness. Each week, Melissa Birch, CCH, explores a different health issue and individual healing processes with Tim Stryker, MD. Tune in every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for inner health through homeopathy. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh, uh, 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 there you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. For the most current and up-to-date information and options in childbearing, family health, and parenting, tune in to Celeste Ranese's Timely Topics in Childbirth, broadcasting every Wednesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. If you don't know your options, you don't have any. Finally, radio that has real depth. Voice America Radio Network. 
You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Welcome back. I'm your social worker with a microphone on Voice America, voiceamericawomen.com. With us this morning is Dr. Meg Meeker, physician and author of Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters, Ten Secrets Every Father Should Know. We're not going to tell you every secret because you have to go out and buy the book if you want to know that. But, you know, Dr. Meeker, you also taught, we were talking about the competition between mothers and daughters, I think which kind of gets heightened during the teenage years. This is a really good time for dads to step in, isn't it, when they don't have that kind of like pulling at each other in the same way that mothers and daughters do? Oh, absolutely, and I will tell you from my personal experience, there were times when our daughters were teenagers where we really were at a stalemate as far as communication, and we were both extremely frustrated, and I would literally walk out of the room, look at my husband, and say, okay, you're on. (laughs) They're yours. (laughs) Because we do, particularly, you know, with our firstborn daughters. Parents tend to butt heads more with the... um, the firstborn of the same sex and mothers and daughters it really can can uh, reach a, a pretty steep pitch during the teenage years and you know like I said we like to talk we like to use a lot of words and sometimes during the teen years our daughters need more listening than they do talking and they need to have somebody just want to be with them rather than just want to teach them everything we want to teach them. What That's about electronic communication? Because this is a whole new area, and you talk about that in the book. You know, don't mistake electronic communication with, like, real hands-on, face-to-face communication. Absolutely, and I call them e-relationships. Um, I think I'm, I'm very concerned about this, and I think we're going to see a lot of research coming out on how this changes um, you know, relationships and human interaction. The biggest problem with electronic relationships is that, A, it's two-dimensional, and, B, they're not real. They're not, you know, kids will say things over the Internet and I am chat rooms that they'd never say to someone's face. Um, you know, and, and they miss that, the, the voice inflection, the eye contact, facial expressions, which are extremely important. And... Um, Obviously, you know, we're going to be living with Internet. We're living with all of these things. But I think that we need to be very, very sober about how we um, encourage our kids to use um, the Internet and and form relationships. And nothing substitutes um, face-to-face time. But, Dr. Maker, I have another question because you're talking about, and, and you have a lot of statistics in terms of daughters who don't have relationships or good relationships with their dads. You know, they sex at an earlier age and smoking and depression and suicide rates and all of those kinds of things. But as I was thinking, I mean, I have three boys, so I I am a daughter, but I didn't raise daughters. And in a very upper middle class kind of neighborhood, good school system, parents who are very attentive, mothers and fathers, then these kids go off to school and college and they it seems to me they have too much of a connection with their mom or dads. We're talking about dads in this case. And all of this, talking to them on the phone every day, uh, emailing, IMing, uh, using all these electronic ways of communicating, is that a good thing? I mean, can you have too much of a connection? Well, yes and no. <laughs> I think it depends on how you define connection. I think, first of all, um, those of us who are really in tune with our kids and love parenting, we can fall prey to what, what we in the field call hyper-parenting, where we put the magnifying glass over our kids and we sort of dissect their behavior, their thoughts, their feelings, and we attend to each and every one. 
and we have difficulty letting go. And um, that's where the connections can turn sour, if you will, and be detrimental to our kids. So can we love our kids too much? No. Can we become enmeshed with them and pull them too close and not let them go? Yes. You know, the, the thing about C.S. Lewis describes, you know, love, love um, in a way he said, you know, a mother's love is the one that at first she sees it, but the moment she has it and sees it, she has to work on letting go. And, 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 and it's, it's, it's a very, very painful thing to do, but absolutely we, we can be responsible for having these 23, 25-year-old kids swooping back home and living with us because we just, we don't want to let go. Yeah, and your example in the book, your own example of your I mean, you're a physician, your father was a physician, and uh, I, I, I was really, I was very touched by the way, I mean, obviously he was a strong figure for you, not necessarily a big talker, as you say, he was, he wasn't a big talker, and you described him not antisocial, but not a real social person, but he had a lot of confidence in you, and even when you got, this was a great story, you should tell the story, not me, but um, about you when you were rejected from medical school, because I think this is a good example of how important you know your father was in terms of your own success. Absolutely, you know, and, and and people read the story and think, oh, you had a great, wonderful relationship with your dad. I didn't. I didn't. My dad was a bit of a hermit, a bit odd. You know, he didn't like to talk, but he got the big stuff right. And that's what I want to tell dads out there: you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to understand your daughter's mind or thinking or anything. You just have to get the big stuff right. And that my dad did. In that particular time, I decided when I was 16, I wanted to go to medical school, and that was it. I went to an all-women's college, and you know, my eyes were set on that. Uh, round one of applications to medical school got 100% rejection. And I was very frustrated, and I remember walking up to my bedroom and passing the den downstairs, and I was, overheard my dad talking on the telephone. The door was ajar, and that was unusual because he usually didn't talk on the phone. And I heard him say to whomever he was talking, oh, yes, my daughter Meg will be going to medical school next year. And I stopped dead in my tracks, and I thought, is he crazy? Is he paying somebody off? Does he know something I don't know? Does he know know something you don't know? Yeah, and I will never forget the feeling that that gave me down into my bones, which was if my dad, who is so smart and so big in my eyes, um, thinks that I can do this and he knows that I can do it, I can do anything I want in the whole wide world. Sure enough, round two, I got into medical school and off I went, and I will tell you at age 48 in writing my third book, I heard my dad's voice. Um, and the interesting thing is my dad doesn't remember saying that to that friend on the phone. He has no recollection of that at all. And those are the life moments, the words that spill from a dad's mouth that reflect his deep beliefs about his daughter that change our lives. That's the, just the living life, the normal stuff that change a daughter's life. It's not the special moments that we plan and take our daughter. It's not the fanciest trip, and I think it we isn't. get into that, or the biggest car that you buy her, or the best dress you can get her for the prom, and you think that that's going to kind of cinch the relationship. Because I think you said something really important, Dr. Meeker. That was like, you know, your dad became your hero in that moment, and he had no idea at all. That, no that, idea. No what, idea at all. And I think that... One of the things I wanted to accomplish in the book, because I really do believe that dads are sort of in a, in a crisis of um, 
belief about their ability to parent and, and, and to uh, particularly to parent a daughter well. We're going to have to wait and hear it in the book because we okay. have our next guest on. We're a little bit uh, kind of getting into the next guest because we missed a little bit of you in the beginning, but I would love to have you back on the show. Oh, I would love to. Great. Dr. Meg Meeker, fantastic book. And if you want to hear more or read more, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters, Ten Secrets Every Father Should Know. And now, coming up in this half hour, is Dr. Kenneth Duckworth. He's the medical director for the National Alliance on Mental Health an assistant professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. Today is Bipolar Disorder Awareness Day, October 11th, and uh, the purpose of this day is to increase the awareness of bipolar disorder. We want to promote early detection, accurate diagnosis, and reduce stigma. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Doctor. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we hit you on the right day. It's Bipolar Awareness Day, and it's uh, this is the day I have my show, so it's perfect. Um, as I understand it, there are 10 million people in the USA who have bipolar disorder, but they're not diagnosed? That's right. About a third of people in America who have bipolar disorder are actually receiving treatment. So one of the purposes of this day is just to put information out there uh, to let people know that this is a condition which is serious, more common than you might think, and also quite treatable. Not more common than I might think. I mean, I, this is what I wanted to ask you because I have at least... Uh, and I think four people that I know in my life who have been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and I keep thinking, is it on the uprise? Do we have do we have more of it, or is it just that we have more people, doctor? That's an excellent question. I think what's happening is because of awareness, more people are in treatment than they were in the past. I do not think there is evidence to suggest that there is a new outbreak of it or an increasing incidence. There's some hints that there may be slightly more depression than there used to be, but I think if you actually look at the epidemiologic statistics, it's more likely that there's better recognition of the condition. Doctor, now, I, young adults, and I guess teenagers, I guess in particular, are at risk for misdiagnosis. Why is that? Why, you know, why are we misdiagnosing young adults who do have this disorder? Well, first of all, uh, with young adults, substance abuse frequently clouds the picture as the young adults are often self-medicating their own symptoms. So that's one area of confusion. Another is by the time the young adult comes to see the pediatrician or the medical doctor that they're, is caring for them, they may be well at the time. One of the features of bipolar illness is that people can have four or five episodes in a decade and have relatively normal functioning in between. And a third reason is frequently a teenager will have the first episode of bipolar illness show up as a depression and the mania won't show itself for a few years later. So they are diagnosed properly in real time, but if you're watching the whole movie, they've kind of missed, you know, the, the second half of the two-part show has not revealed itself. So, Dr. Duckworth, what do we do as parents? How do we, you know, what, what are we supposed to be looking for? I mean, because, you know, we're on the front lines. We're with our children every single day. What, and how do we... You know, if we suspect that perhaps our daughter or our son may be displaying symptoms of bipolar disorder, how, what do we look for? Well, I mean, first of all, I would you know, know like your genetic family history as you do with all medical conditions. So if your family history is heavily loaded with mood disorders, just be mindful of that. This does not mean your child's going to have a mood disorder. There is no one-to-one -one genetic correlation uh, with mood disorders. But just as you would know that if, you know, 10 people in your family had died early of heart disease, you would be mindful of that. That's just one piece of the puzzle. The other thing is to look at a child's sleep habits and changes in their behavior and functioning. 
So all teenagers uh, tend to stay up late and sleep late. But a child who is having profound sleep disturbance may be a child who is at risk for a mental illness like bipolar disorder. Also, erratic, hostile, aggressive uh, behavior is much more common, and I don't mean an ordinary teen snit as people are trying to develop their independence. I'm talking about a severe pattern of this sort of thing. Usually people do not function well in school. So a big change in grades is also a red flag. So an A and B student who is now throwing D's and F's. And the final thing is the use of substances, which may be a problem on its own, but may also be the teenager's attempt to try to change how they feel inside. But, of course, the use of substances compounds the problem. It doesn't actually help it. So, Dr. Duckworth, you may have more of a... Uh, uh a cluster of all of these symptoms together, you know, is that what you're saying? And the the drinking and 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 a disconnect between how maybe how the kid the child's potential in school for doing well, they're getting D's when they're really A students, those kinds of things. That's right. These are all red flags. None of them are diagnostic. And I always encourage people not to let a teacher diagnose your child or even prescribe medicine, which I have seen in my travels as a child psychiatrist. What you do is you take the teenagers, the teacher's feedback about your child, you incorporate it with what you know as a parent, and parents do know their children best. I also encourage parents to follow their gut instinct. If you feel that there's something wrong with your child, you're probably not too far off. Most I parents think are so, not I think that is, So I'd like you to repeat that because I think that's so important. And sometimes you have healthcare professionals who kind of want to dismiss your gut feeling. Let's say I'm, I'm a mother, and as a mother, and you're so right, you've got to go with your gut, and you have to pursue it. I think that's really important. It's really important because yeah. parents know their children best. Best mental health professionals have specific expertise and may be able to form terrific relationships. But you know your child best, and I would say if your gut senses that something is amiss, it may very well be. Dr. Duckworth, is there a higher incidence of bipolar disorder with boys rather than girls, or is it equal? It's about equal. What is different is sometimes boys generate more trouble uh, when they're uh, exhibiting symptoms. They're louder. They're more likely to be aggressive uh, in the teen years. So this is true of both attention deficit disorder and bipolar disorder. The boys are much more noticeable than the girls. That's Dr. just classic. But if you look at the adult population, it's really about 50-50. All right, so it's the same. Now, what's the, uh, the, the prognosis, I guess, in terms of, of treatment? What are the success rates for those young people who are diagnosed with bipolar disorder? Because I know some parents... When that happens, it's devastating, and their whole attitude is, "Oh my God, there's nothing we can do," and uh, you know, it really devastates the whole. It, it's a family disease, like most diseases are. I mean, it impacts on the whole family, parents and the rent siblings, and uh, so. What is the uh, treatment success rate? Well, the treatment success rate is actually quite high, somewhere between 60 and 80% of people do very well over time. I would encourage parents as they're going through the shock and the, I would say psychological trauma of taking on the possibility that the child may have a mental illness is to gather information and get, get involved in a support group for yourself. You're not alone. This is a condition that's impacting about 10 million Americans and is really quite treatable. So the question
question is, can you become part of the movement of people who are on top of this condition, are using medications in thoughtful ways, are using supports, are using therapy, are using um, sobriety when that's indicated as your essential um, touchstones? Or are you going to be part of the, you know, two-thirds of the people who don't address this, and then, unfortunately, their children and young adults do run into pretty serious difficulty? I think two things, Doctor, that it brings up when you – that uh, uh, if you're talking about 10 million people actually being diagnosed with bipolar disorder, you're, you could add probably three or four people who are affected by it in an immediate sense, the family. So oh, got- this is very much a condition which impacts the family. So, you know, when somebody in a family system has bipolar disorder, it is very obvious to everyone in the family and therefore really impacts them. And also, isn't it important to diagnose early? I know from my social work experience, um, Dr. Duckworth, that if, if these kids don't, and if they drop out of school and they don't go through the process of graduating from high school and college and getting a job, you know, and they don't get diagnosed till later on, all of those skills and all of those abilities and even those feelings of self-worth are not there. So it's very difficult for people to get back on the right track. And, you know, it's much easier if you, if you diagnose early and, and they're able to, you know, achieve these things in their teens and 20s. That's, that's really very well said. And the question is, you know, what developmental good things can happen to a person, you know, is one of the million-dollar questions. And when a person is well, all those things are spiraling up. Peer relationships, self-esteem, a sense of competence, building their strengths. And when a person's in trouble, of course, they're developing, you know, somewhat the opposite. I will say, however, that I have worked with people that have lost a lot younger in life and have made fabulous comebacks. So I would say even, um, you know, if you're later in the game than you might like to be with your child or yourself with bipolar illness, I've met many people who are quite inspiring who uh, can basically tame this demon and uh, have a very productive and happy life. Okay, so, so I would it's say never too late. I mean, it's I mean, really never too late. Yeah. Dr. Kenneth Duckworth, you know, I want to mention again, that, and I don't know if I did mention this, that you are an assistant professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and is, are the medical director for the National Alliance on Mental Illness, acronym NAMI. Where do we go for more information? Listeners, you know, would like to uh, uh, go online and uh, get more information and keep abreast of everything that we've been talking about this morning. The website is www.nami.org. That is the the best website, and we really make an effort to keep all the scientific information about medication and the illnesses there. If you don't have access to the web, it's 1-800-950-NAMI. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. You too. Dr. Kenneth Duckworth, Medical Director of NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Health. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a minute. Catherine Zox, Lauren Deller, Voice America, voiceamerica.com women. I'm your social worker with a microphone. Talking about what you care about. News, relationships, health, finances. Voice America, Women's Radio Network.
tired of those fad diets and exercise routines that you don't stick with? Want to find a better way to incinerate fat and energize your life without those worthless pills or gimmicks? Then tune in every Friday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific to Fitness Truth with hosts Zach Hunt and A.J. Roberts. Achieve your weight loss and fitness goals and maintain them for the rest of your life. The rest of your life. That's Fitness Truth, Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. When I have an asthma attack, I feel scared. It's like tiny nails in the air poke my lungs. I start to cough. Did you know your child's asthma attacks can be triggered by things like shower curtains, a blanket, even a teddy bear? I feel like I'm choking. And there are many other things in your home and your child's classroom you may not know about. For the latest information, call 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. Sometimes I, my parents have to take me to the hospital. Help prevent your child's asthma attacks and avoid the emergency room. Call toll-free 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. That's 1-866-662-8822. Or visit www.noattacks.org. I don't want to feel like a fish with no water. Brought to you by the EPA and the Ad Council. We talk with you, not at you. We're Voice America, Women's Radio Network, the new face of talk radio. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and I'm back with my microphone on Voice America, voiceamerica.com women. So, Lauren, uh, interesting topic, I think, this whole issue of bipolar disorder and uh, pretty scary stuff. What do you think? It's very scary. And yeah, and I think one of the things is when parents and, you know, you wait, you have a child, and I know the experience that we only have a couple minutes left, but I just urge people, if you have any, you know, as he said, as a parent, inkling that maybe your child is suffering from this disorder, do something about it. I mean, I think one of the things we have kids, you know, you, you want to, you think of them as these perfect little people and you, you feel ashamed, you feel embarrassed, you think you're a bad parent, all of those things and you don't want to address the issue, but it's really important to do it because, you know, early detection, early de- treatment is, is really important in this case. It's, um, you know, I think it's about listening to your instincts. You know, we have good mommy instincts. <laughs> we do have good mommy. If we don't cut our, you know, but there's that whole issue of denial. Oh, my kid, you know, he, he or she couldn't have a problem. Uh, and I think there's that whole thing as a parent blaming yourself. And if he, he or she does have a problem, then it's my fault. I did right. something wrong. He didn't do something wrong, as the doctor said. There's a genetic component to this. There's a lot of stuff that we don't even know about. So um, it really is important for parents. And, and not just with bipolar. I think with other mental illnesses. I agree with you. Yeah. And don't you think? I mean, Lauren, the stigma with uh, that we still have a stigma, stigma against mental illness. I mean, if your kid bangs his head or falls down or gets hurt, who's the, we're in the emergency room in thirty seconds, right? Exactly. Yeah, but not when it comes to mental illness. It's a major issue, and I think there's a lot of denial. But I think that denial is also an indicator of there's something wrong. You know, if you listen to the yourself denying, if you're honest with yourself. Something wrong in terms of what you're doing. Yes, you're right. Exactly. Yeah. If you're into denial, and you 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 know it. I mean, exactly. I, yeah, exactly. and 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 it's a cover up. And families very often cover up. And then the other thing is, I know even in. I mean, you're, you're, 
you know, when your kids go to school and the teacher calls you in and says, you know, Johnny's acting out or his reading isn't as good. I mean, the first thing to think is, well, oh, no, it must, it's something wrong with you. You know, you want to kill the messenger? It's right. not my kid. He's fine or she's fine. She's okay. And it takes time to kind of settle back and, and be able to accept the information that, hey, maybe there is something wrong, but something can be done. There, I think there's always something that can be done. It's, there's always something that there's an, always another way to approach a situation. So whether it's a doctor or a social worker or a coach, you know, there's so many different ways that people can help in such situations. Yes, yeah, there's answers out there. You can do something about it. So just remember, 10 million people in America have bipolar disorder. I mean, that's really something. And as I said, that affects families. So that could that's 40 million people at the minimum who are affected by this really devastating disease but there is help out there you can get treatment uh you can go to the website and uh, if you want more information you can always call um you can call us here at the studio at one eight six six four seven two five seven eight seven. the Catherine zock show and um well we've had a great day and uh it's time to say goodbye lauren Thank you. It always flies by. It does. Have a great day. Yeah, lots of good information. Voice America, voiceamerica.com, women, women, women. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Have a great day, and we'll see you next week.